Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are continuing on our sermon series through Paul's letter to the Colossians, and we've arrived at the ninth sermon, which means next week will be the last sermon on Colossians. (laughs) You know, actually, at the early service, Nathan applauded. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure that's it. Nathan just wants to get up here. That's what he wants. (laughs) But for those of you that may have missed it, uh, Colossians 1 and 2 were more introductory and laying the foundation, and really Colossians 3 and 4 are the practical application to what it is that Paul was talking about in Colossians 1 and 2 because what was going on in Colossae was a heresy for one false teaching about who Jesus is and what that means for our lives, but then also as other beliefs intermingled with what was being taught about Christ and the Christian life, that the Christian life would be compromised. And so Paul was saying, this is essentially who Jesus is. This is the essential gospel, and this is what it means for your life as you begin to live this out. And so it's not just a different compartment, just another piece of your life or your belief system. But this is day in, day out, every moment of every day. That's what it means to live with and for Jesus Christ. And if you want the model that that looks like, just think of Jesus with the twelve apostles when Jesus began his public ministry. The apostles walked with Jesus Day in, day out. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to walk with Christ. That there's never this time that we are not conscious that we are in His presence and walking with Him. Now one of the things that creeps into our culture that causes us not to be as conscious, not to be as connected, and possibly not talk about Christ or the Christian life, is this pressure that gets put on us to not bring our faith into the public sphere. You know what I mean by that? I mean, allegedly, when you watch the news, when you listen to the news, when you read the news, it is supposed to be without any kind of faith or values or beliefs attached to it, just strictly objective. And we know, frankly, that's garbage, don't we? That if you think about sports, or politics, or Hollywood, or any kind of media. Everybody is always bringing into those their values, their beliefs, and talking about them maybe subtly, maybe overtly. I mean, I like to listen to sports talk radio when I'm taking short little trips or jaunts. And it's inevitable that they're going to get into talking about values or beliefs. And morality, therefore. 
And what is okay and what is not okay in the public sphere? I mean, how many of you have heard about, for example, in the last couple of weeks, bullying because of what happened with the Miami Dolphins? Right? Now, you would think, given our culture, that that should just remain private between the people that are involved in that, or just the team itself, or just maybe the National Football League, but no. It has crept into every sphere. Why? Because that's what happens. See, because it's something that is of value to everyone. Everyone recognizes that it's problematic to be a bully. And when bullying happens to someone. So there is public opinion out there that adheres itself to values or morality and beliefs. See, but we're not supposed to. As if our private beliefs, our private life can stay out of the public sphere. And how much is that in reality a possibility? In my life it's not. Because it's not just a compartment of my life. Just like my marriage is not just a compartment of my life. When I leave home in the morning, I don't leave my wife and say, well, we'll be married when I come home. I don't do that. Good thing, too. (laughs) I'm not just a parent sometimes. My private life comes into my public life, into my workplace. And frankly, vice versa. Because what I do at work will have an impact on my family. If I say yes to something that's a responsibility or is going to require time at work, I'm saying no to something in the family. It has an impact. And vice versa. See, because you can't say there's just a small part of my life here and then the rest of it is out there in the public sphere. People try to live that way, frankly, as Christians. They do. You know, as long as I do Christian light, do a little church now and then, and, you know, maybe once in a while shoot up those prayers when I have a specific need, You know, might even crack a Bible now and then. But we don't want to get into this stuff too heavily. Be too religious, as we like to say. When in fact, it's meant to be a part, he's meant to be a part of the whole of my life. Every aspect of my life. My private life, my public life. Every aspect. We are physical beings, intellectual beings, emotional beings, spiritual beings. And if we are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, how do we keep that compartmentalized? As if it doesn't matter to the rest or the whole of our life. See, that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about consistent living. He's talking about a life of integrity. That's what he's talking about. I mean, take, for example, one of the things that happens in private, as if it doesn't have an impact on the whole of our life. The most popular use still to this day for the Internet is pornography. You don't think that has an impact on people's public life? How they treat women as objects instead of people? How they might treat their spouse because of that? The expectations that they have? How it becomes a black hole that sucks you in and sucks you away from your spouse, your family, and even in the workplace. In fact, how much is it used in the workplace? Do 
You know, the reason that's so much on my mind, I don't know if you've heard this. There's a big debate right now how to handle the pornography in public libraries because, you know, after all, people need to have access to it for research. Did you hear that? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Your funds are supporting the purchase of pornography for libraries. Did you know that? There's a big debate right now. I heard that in the news. Research! Really? I think there could be a more select place for that to happen. Oh, yeah, I'm just doing research here. Don't bother me. Don't mind me. It's amazing. As if that doesn't have an impact on someone's soul and their mind and their relationships. What about an affair? It's just between me and somebody else. You know, I keep it private. I keep it out of the rest of my house. Shouldn't be a problem. Really? You think not? Why is it that we get this in our minds? That what we do in private really doesn't have an impact on our life as if it doesn't connect. And it's not going to come out in my public life, in my workplace, have an impact on me. I want you to understand that how we are in private has an impact on public, and how we are in public and in other places in our lives has an impact on our soul and our life because we are woven together. We're one. Even if it's just a little bit. Think about something. Think about if you have a cuticle, how that little thing bugs you so much. I had, I was just at a clergy conference and a clergy spouse conference. I had a little bit of a jaggedness on my nail. I was so distracted. I wanted, I would have killed for an emery board at one point. I spent an hour with my teeth trying to get that thing straight. One little thing. Sore toe. How distracting is that? We are woven together. We are one body, individually and as a church. And one little part does make a difference. Ever have a broken tooth? Your tongue goes there all the time. And you are constantly conscious of it. Don't think that your private practices don't have an impact. One more obvious one, second most popular use, gambling on the Internet. Time, resources. I mean, we could go on and on about this, but you're getting the point. So why is it we think we can just keep Christianity, our faith, this relationship we say we have with Jesus Christ that is a love relationship that is constant and ongoing, that we should be able to, or even want to, keep it to a small part of our life? Why? Because of cultural pressure? Because we'll fit in better? Because we'll get to have more fun and do the things we want to do? See, that's what Paul's talking about here. And he starts off with the word devote. Devote. That's such a great word for what this life is meant to be. Are you devoted? Think about people when we use that term, they're devoted to their family. What does that mean? They try to do everything they can for their family to keep their family loving 
and content and a blessing to each other, a blessing to other people. They're devoted to their research. How it just is on their mind all the time, particularly if they're trying to find a cure for cancer, particularly if they have a loved one who has cancer. They're devoted. Think about a couple who are dating and in love. I'm so devoted. I can't get her out of my mind. Then they're married. Then reality sets in. You know, when couples begin to take each other for granted, much like some people take their relationship with the Lord for granted, it can drift. What happened to the devotion? What happened to the devotion? Devote yourselves to prayer. That's what Paul writes. Why? Because prayer is an exercise? Because prayer is a duty? Because prayer, we, we need to say prayers now and then? Why? Why is prayer so important? See, prayer, if you really understand the point and purpose of prayer, it's about relationship. I'm connecting with my Heavenly Father who loves me, with my Lord Jesus who laid down His life for me, with the Holy Spirit that's going to fill me and empower me. I'm in prayer because I need to take a look at my life and how I fall short and how I can thereby become more effective in loving others, a more effective instrument for the Lord in witnessing, in evangelism. Why? Because I hold people before the Lord who I love and are struggling or in need or need to know the Lord because their soul's in peril. That's why. It's about relationship. It's about love. If you really understand prayer, it's not just a duty. It's not just things we say. It's meant to be filled with meaning. That's why he says devote yourself to prayer. It's really all about this relationship. We say we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors ourselves. See, when we begin to think of prayer, worship, being together as Christians in the Word as a luxury, as not necessary, there are casualties. Because we are in a spiritual battleground. Paul writes in the sister letter, take on the whole armor of God so that you might be able to stand. And the casualties of war, if we're not standing, the casualties of war being our marriages, our families, our friendships at times, and our own souls being in peril for eternity. Do you understand? This is a life. It has an impact on the whole of your life. And that's why when Paul talks about what we're battling, it's not just against the flesh, it's against the spiritual powers, the forces of Satan and temptation and the world and how it sucks us in and the culture that puts pressure on us. And that's why we need to have the breastplate of righteousness covering our hearts. That's why we need to have the helmet of salvation to get our minds around this faith, around the Lord. That's why we even need to have the shoes of the gospel so that wherever we go, we're taking the Lord with us, that we're going with Him. That's why it's a whole set of armor to deal with all the challenges that come our way. It's a life. 
And Jesus and Paul both use this idea of staying alert or staying awake. Did you catch that? I love that. I don't know how many of you will remember this, and I doubt very many, if anyone. Does anyone know what my name means, Gregory? (laughs) I don't want to know what some of you might say. My name, Gregory, means watchful one. I love that. Watchful one. Because it reminds me. I'm always to be alert. I'm always to be awake. I'm always to be watching what the Lord wants to do in me and with me and through me. You know, we are not always watchful. We're not always paying attention. We think we can do it in other ways, different ways, and still be okay. We're fine. Example. And I'm aware of this, especially because of some of the statistics I heard this week. How about texting while you're driving? Do you know what the statistics are, even with all the warnings out there, how many people text and drive at the same time? About 35%. Even with all the warnings out there. You know it's even scarier? Over 40% are searching, searching the web while they're driving. You thought texting was dangerous. You think you're distracted? Why are they telling people that? Because it's dangerous for you. We have so many distractions that we are not staying alert to. Once again, we think we're just fine if we just bump along. We pray once in a while. We worship once in a while whenever we, quote, unquote, feel like it or it's convenient. Or maybe, you know, it's kind of drizzly and foggy out, not going to do anything else anyway. We'll pray because we have an extra two minutes in the morning. Or we have a particular need. It's not a life. It's not a love relationship. This is meant to be a life. We have a love relationship with the Lord and it transforms our relationships with other people. That's what this is meant to be. Devote yourself. Devote yourself to prayer. Get your minds around it. Get your hearts in it. Don't be asleep at the wheel. You know, what if, and there may be a few of you who have diabetes. I had diabetes in my family. You think if you go to the doctor's office once in a while, don't check yourself, don't really pay attention to it, you'll be okay? I don't think so. You need to be aware of that every day and caring for it and paying attention to it every day. I have slightly elevated blood pressure. And by the way, it's not because of the stress of the job. I drink way too much coffee. But I'm not going to change. That's what I told my doctor. He loved that. He said, well then... You've got to pay attention to at least a little bit and, and pay attention and, you know, take your blood pressure now and then. And he's given me some high blood pressure pills. It's working. This is really a good deal. 
But the point is, it wasn't just I had to check in once a year for my physical. He says, oh, you have high blood pressure, and then I leave the office and say, okay, I'll try to keep it down, not pay attention to it. No. I had to do the stuff that it takes to make sure that I'm going to be in this for the long haul and not die of hypertension and heart disease. I might anyway, but not right now. Point being, do we pay attention when we see signs that we're beginning to drift a little bit, that we're being distracted, that we're falling asleep at the wheel? Do we take steps? See, the only way we're going to do that, and that's what Paul gets into next, the door, the door that we keep open, the door for the Word, for our lives, so that Christ can come in. So that we can be filled with His Holy Spirit. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He who, he who opens the door, I will come in and eat with Him and He with me. We need to commune with Him on a regular basis and keep that door open. So we have constant feeding and filling. So that we're able to stay close to the Lord and connected and close to each other. And I need to keep the door open to other people. To be willing to serve and witness and minister to. If you will, an open door policy. And I wonder, do we really understand that that's what it's meant to be? Peter writes in Second Peter, I'm sorry, First Peter 3.15. But in your heart, sanctify Christ as Lord. Make sure the door is open for Him. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting of the hope that is in you. Always be ready. Always be ready. Be alert. Keep awake. That's what we heard in the Gospel, Matthew 24. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. That we love other people and we're reverent or respectful towards them. That we're gentle, we're bearing the fruit of the Spirit in the process, but we're always willing to reach out to people. Because the door of our hearts is open to Jesus Christ and the power and filling of His Holy Spirit. Then he talks about his witness. His witness. What's a witness? It's someone who experienced themselves and then talks about and shares. So we need to experience this. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Going back to Peter. But you know that oftentimes when you get to the witness stand, what someone tries to do to undermine your testimony? Say you don't have integrity. That you're not a truthful person. See, our lives need to have that integrity. It needs to hold together. That Jesus who says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that that truth locks on in our lives so that we become people of the truth. With Jesus. Have integrity in our lives that it holds together. That we live life as a continuum. Not as a compartment in our walk with the Lord. A continuum. A life of integrity. You know, 
years and years ago, I read some books that kind of pointed this out and makes the point themselves about how we're to live. One is called Evangelism as a Lifestyle. That if we're walking with the Lord, that we're always constant in our witness, that we're always trying to witness and reach out for the sake of Christ. Evangelism is a lifestyle. Another book, Lifestyle Evangelism. Go figure. How clever. You know, and it basically it's talking about the same thing, that we're always walking the walk. And if you look at Jesus, that's what he was constantly doing, is proclaiming the kingdom. And sharing his life in such a way to bring people into the kingdom. Another one is Out of the Salt Shaker into the World. I love this book. Becky Pippert wrote it years and years ago. I read that when I was still in college. And you know, Paul and Jesus both talk about salt and saltiness and us being the salt of the earth. And Jesus talks about if the salt loses its salt, it's not worth anything. You know... Salt preserves food. We know that. And when we bring the gospel into our lives and into the world around us, we are seeking to preserve what God has intended. The love relationships, us caring for one another. The world not deteriorating. That's what we're meant to do. You know, think about it. If the salt loses its saltiness, when you put salt on your food, what are you putting on there? Rocks. That's all you're doing. You're not bringing flavor, spice. You're not bringing something that preserves you. are just putting rocks on it. We're meant to be that salt. That God wants to preserve our lives. To preserve our relationships. To have the gospel breaking in constantly to transform us that's what he's about and we compromise right and left right and left as if it's no big deal as if it doesn't matter you know couples who live together vacation together sleep together no big deal. Our culture all does it. That's an assumed today. By many people in the church, too. See, that's the question. Do we really care about what the Word of God says? Are we open to Him? That we're keeping the door of our hearts open to Him and what He says? Are we really seeking to be holy? Not sitting around, as my daughter said recently, not sitting around singing Kumbaya all the time. Even though in our hearts we want the Lord to, by the way, Kumbaya means come by here, we want Him here constantly and live in His presence. But it's not that we're trying to be holier than thou, it's that we're trying to walk with Christ and live His life which is holy. trying to preserve our faith, our soul, our life, and preserve those around us. That's what he wants. You know, Christianity is not just a good idea. It's not just an intellectual acknowledgement. It's not just a small part of our life, a compartment 
It's not a part-time job. It's like a marriage. It's a relationship that abides constantly. That we are to live into these two great commandments. That we are to love the Lord our God with the whole of our being and then bring that into the relationships in our lives that are around us. If we really understand what Christ was about and what He's trying to bring us to. And we are to keep awake and keep alert in our lives. Diligent. Persevering. Attentive. Have you ever seen anybody sleepwalk, by the way? Anybody ever seen anybody? When, when Daniel was a teenager, Daniel came into our room one night, I don't remember what time, and he tried to crawl in bed with Meredith and I. It was really weird. And so I remember escorting him back to his room and introducing his own bed to him, and he just climbed right. Next morning, I said to him, I said, do you remember what you did? He said, what? I said, climbing into bed with us. He said, ooh, no. Are you kidding? It was amazing, because we can go through life walking around asleep when it comes to our faith. Totally oblivious to what God's calling us to. Not aware of what we've left behind or what we've done. Because we're not awake. We're not alert. What if Daniel had that same problem when he was over in Afghanistan? You think that would have been problematic? We're in a spiritual battleground. And how many people are asleep when it comes to walking with the Lord and what the Christian life really is all about? That it's a relationship that is constantly to abide. James, the brother of our Lord, says in the first chapter of his letter, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. It's a life. And we're called to live the life. We're called to live the love. We're called to walk with the Lord just like the apostles did. To recognize He went to a cross for us. That Jesus laid down His life so that He might be our Savior and save us from the power of sin, the penalty of sin. But He also came to be our Lord that we walk with. Let's live the life. Individually and together. Let's live the life. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, so often we live by compartments in our lives. There's work, and there's home, and there's playtime, and there's me time. Instead of see, seeing the whole of life as one continual. And how we mark time, Lord, by our schedules, by efficiency. Instead of marking all time as Kairos time. 
special, meaningful, because we walk with you and we live for you. Lord, just as those men went into the prison for Kairos, were surrounded by people who had struggled, sinned, failed, broken lives, so we would recognize that that's what's going on in the world around us. And Lord, that we would not live two different lives, one on the outside and one on the inside. That we would live constant, consistent, lives of integrity, lives that are devoted, devoted to you in love, devoted to others in love, living for you today, now, and always. Lord, I pray that for those who don't know you, that they would come to know you as Savior, you've given your life for them for their sin and brokenness but not just Savior but Lord as well that we would walk with you as your apostles and disciples walked with you day by day seeking you having an open door to our hearts and to our minds so that you might fill us and empower us and lead us by your spirit Lord, help us to live for you in all things and in all ways. And bless those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.